Hello and welcome to the first podcast from La Civiltà Cattolica. For some time, we've wanted to develop other technical aspects of getting La Civiltà Cattolica content available to readership in all the ways that are now made possible. So we've begun this and we're beginning with an extremely topical subject and a much read author giving ourselves the best chance of making it work. So may I introduce Drew Christensen, who's a Jesuit priest and professor at Georgetown University. I've known Drew for a long time because he was in an earlier life, he's been a number of things, but when I got to know him, he was editor of the flagship of American Jesuits publishing uh, on religion and current affairs in the United States, America Magazine, published out of New York. And since his editorship, he's moved to Washington, where he has a distinguished chair in religion and politics and, and the public life of the United States and the way in which religion can have some purchase on it. He has published very recently an article which is appearing in a number of places, including La Civiltà Cattolica, about just where the United States is now after four years of Donald Trump and whether and in way it's going to make something of this experience. So. Welcome to the podcast and to this initial venture of La Civiltà Cattolica in podcasting. Thank you, Mick. It's good to be with you and with you, with our listeners. And uh, always good to work with Civiltà Cattolica. I welcome this opportunity to chat a bit about our, our situation in the U.S. today, which uh, I, I know there are a lot of people interested in, a lot of people have different thoughts around the world. So I'm happy to contribute my few thoughts on, on the issues. That's great, and thanks, Drew. Now, let's cut right to the chase. It was, um, it was said early in the Trump presidency that whatever threat Donald Trump represented to democracy in the US of A, American values and the robust state of American institutions would see off the threat. Do you think that has been true? Well, I'd say it's been true in part, especially in these last days since the election. The election itself was uh, recorded the highest number of, of voters in 100 years, and percentage-wise. And uh, that was for both parties. Uh, Mr. Trump received uh, several million more votes than he did last time. And, of course, uh, President-elect Biden also received uh, a record number of votes, I think some 80 million by current records. And tomorrow, the uh, Federal College will cast the, the formal vote for the presidency based on the election counts. I think the election process worked, and you have to say that's an important um, achievement in the American system that in a federal system that's not controlled from the top, particularly counties, have control over the election process. And uh, people are recruited to election boards from both parties, but they do it with a sense of civic purpose. And they did that very well, despite all the problems that have been had in the previous uh, primaries in some states. and. Uh, the efforts at suppression that had gone on in 2018, there were record turnouts and uh, both the uh, the intelligence office at the Justice Department and uh, the Attorney General and others have said there's no evidence of fraud at all, which the pre President Trump has been claiming. Uh, but that's because people on the ground did their job. And then with them, uh, even Trump supporters among secretaries of state who are the people, overseers of elections within the states reported uh, honestly and accurately about what the results were. And so that part of the system worked. I think also the courts have worked. I think uh, there may have only been one court decision 
out of some 58 now that uh, on a very minor point that went in the, the uh, direction of the president's claims about fraud and throwing out votes. And that point had already been uh, corrected or by, by the local state government before the, well, the the federal court judged on it. And then subsequently, all the court decisions have been, uh, have been against the administration's efforts to, to have the, the, the votes turned out in the, the battleground states of of Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Georgia. And their, I think, most emphatic thing was that the Supreme Court twice turned down suits on that, on that, on that matter and said they, they were just baseless. And I think that was very important because President Trump had sought and the Senate assisted him in appointing a conservative majority to the Supreme Court. And he'd done it quite openly in the hope of get, having them rescue him if he lost the election. And they didn't do that. So, at that level, the institutions have, have worked. On the other hand, there is a deep cultural and political divide, uh, which is very, very uh, worrisome right now, uh, especially the Republican Party seems to have been turned into just a, um, a doll by uh, President Trump. And uh, 126 members of Congress joined the, the suit, the last suit that went to the Supreme Court from, from 17 state attorneys general. And it's a sign that, that uh, they're willing to go along with, with him or whatever he does. And that's a, it's a very dangerous kind of thing. There's this kind of autocratic, not even autocratic, it's kind of a, the, the rule of a dictatorship, I think, by the whim of, of the leader. The Republican Party was always the defender of liberty and instead it's be, has become kind of a hollow shell of what it had been. Uh, it's no, more, no longer the, the uh, party of Lincoln it's the party of, of Donald Trump. And even though it, it, I think that the, the, uh, the inauguration go ahead and so on, the political divide is very, very deep in the country. And uh, a large percentage between 60 and 70% of Republicans say they think that the election was stolen. It's a very bad sign when mm. even their own Republican officials has said over and over again that, the, that it was an honest election. So we're in, we're in trouble in terms of commitment to the basic values of democracy. And the most obvious one is that, you know, uh, winners uh, can take office and the other side concedes. Now that's not in the constitution, it's a norm, but what we learned through Mr. Trump's whole term is that norms are being constantly abused. And as a result, the democratic fabric of the country has been worn away. The, the great strength of the American system has always been, much to the frustration of people in trying to bring about change, has been checks and balances. But actually, this time, they seem to have worked. There have been checks and balances on this extreme position taken by an incumbent president. And, you know, he hasn't been able to, you know, throw the wrecking ball at the whole structure and knock it down. Uh, there have been ways in which his most destructive impulses have, have actually been curtailed and contained. Yeah, I think that's right. Uh, certainly the Senate has been no help at all. Only a handful there are 26 senators, I think, uh, have admitted that uh, Pres uh, Vice President Biden has been elected uh, as president beginning in 2021. But the, the, other, the other people in other ranks, I mean, the lawyers at the Justice Department were bent to the president, including the Attorney General, in the most egregious case, bent on the whole to the president's will. Only at the very end did uh, Attorney General Barr say, no, there's no evidence of, of uh, corruption, no evidence of fraud. And um, 
you know, you just, there were a couple of lawyers who resigned, but you would have expected there would have been mass resignations with the kind of manipulation that was going on there. And so it'll be a job kind of reconstituting the integrity of the Justice Department, which is usually seen as kind of being independent of the White House. Now, the president from the beginning determined to undo that by uh, uh, harassing uh, his first appointment, uh, former Senator uh, Jeff Sessions, uh, out of that office as attorney general. And Barr just, much to everyone's surprise, turned out to be uh, very compliant uh, and inventive in his compliance. And I'd say lots of lawyers. I mean, the president's had lots of help from lawyers around the country and from big law firms. And only after the, you know, they began to see their, their rather bogus claims being thrown out of court did the major law firms abandon the administration. There's been a failure there. It's extraordinary. It really is extraordinary. But let's go to the next step because the simple fact that this mayhem has been created all around the country is not just something that'll end with, you know, the inauguration of a new president. This is the, the, the divided country that Biden is going to have to lead. What do you think his chances of doing anything are, especially when you've got hopeless media that you have had displaying themselves during the course of the election, avoiding all the basic rules of, of journalism and uh, cases have to be proved, there have to be evidence, there has to be evidence for a claim, all that stuff. Just the media has been wrecked, the body politic is riven, and I, I can't see how it's going to get any better. My, my own perception is that, that the mainstream media has gotten better. I mean, it ran to, to uh, Trump's bell like everyone else for a long time. Even one of my friends would say, even the New York Times, which seems to be his big critic, has at least five stories a day about Trump's atrocity, even when they were minor kinds of things, with a tweet of the day. And, and certainly some of the big networks that were his critics just drew in the money by running his stories every day, even they were trivial stories. Yeah. Uh, and they had no sense of, uh, the term I heard today in one program on the media was, they lost any sense of proportion. And uh, their loss of proportion early administration made it possible for him to eventually gain more and more power because he had more and more attention. And that's gonna be hard to overcome, but I think it looks to me like the mainstream media has turned the corner on that because we've got the danger to democracy has been so severe. I think also uh, he is, he's approached the job with a kind of decorum and seriousness which people used to expect of presidents. And I think in time that may quiet things down, but he has a, a very difficult task because uh, we have the pandemic, we have uh, basic depression as a result of the pandemic. Uh, and we're not sure where the Congress is gonna be, whether the Senate will, will uh, still be in Republican hands or not. So it's, it's a very difficult situation. But I, th I think that, that most of all, he has to rebuild the government. I mean. I heard one figure that the Foreign Service was down to a, uh, about a third of what its size was when Pompeo came in as, as uh, Secretary of State. So, so uh, people have been leaving the government. Experts have been either fired or have left in frustration uh, or taken early retirements because they just didn't want to work with this. And so way down the scales in the departments, the expertise is gone and that's yep. going to have to be rebuilt. Uh, and they actually have to, will have to do, pass some laws, I think, to allow them to reappoint people who were there before. I, 
Now, what we're talking about is really the beginning of the collapse of a, of a whole democratic system. And it's predicated on the divisions that were already there, which were exacerbated by during the Trump presidency. How, if at all, can the divisions created during that presidency be healed? Well, I think it's going to take a lot of action by a lot of different groups. I mean, I think you, it ha the healing has to come from below as well as from above. And I think uh, in civil society, you know, various organizations in local communities, there's going to have to be attention to how you heal. And certainly one of the things that's exacerbated this situation is that there's been collusion on the part of religious leaders of the Trump administration. And not all of their communities have gone their way, but enough have gone so that now Christian nationalism is a real force in this country. And it's nationalism, like that's Christian, Christian veneer, but it's really just nationalism. And uh, I think kind of the, the people who are genuinely religious are going to have to really stand up for what's, for what's right, stand up for their traditional views of religion as kind of having, having a dimension outside of politics, not being reducible to politics, and not taking um, the demands of politics as kind of absolutes with it will enable them to turn their uh, their adversaries into enemies and and evil people to be to be done away with. I think it's really very important. The religious community has a real important role there. I've done a lot of international politics on forgiveness, but I I think we're going to need a lot of forgiveness in this country as we move through the the period uh, going forward. How do you think the economic situation is going to affect that, Drew? I mean, you know, the U.S. of course is the biggest and fastest moving economy in the world. But it's a very uneven uh, economy and the beneficiaries of that economy vary greatly. There are stupendously wealthy people and there are ignominiously poor people. How is this level of cultural and social and political division going to be fed by the way in which the country is shattering in all sorts of ways economically? I don't think the divide is essentially economic, although it, it really aggravates the situation. I think the, the, the Biden, incoming Biden people have talked about dealing with the questions of inequality. And we'll have to see what, what we know. Uh, we know that the one appointment I know that certainly is concerned about employment and the working person is Janet Yellen, uh, who will be the, the Secretary of the Treasury. Uh, she was formerly head of the, the Federal Reserve or, or Central Bank. But you know, who goes to the Department of Labor, what, whether they're able to, to constitute a, a working majority on the uh, labor relations boards is now going to be another important question. Whether uh, the labor unions can be strengthened by by those kinds of governmental uh, moves, I think will we'll determine to, to a great extent whether they're able to to work on inequality. Also, there's talk about you know the recovery is going to pay, be paid for. At least there was in the weeks immediately following the election that the administration, the incoming administration, planned that. The well-to-do would be paying for the, the the restoration of the economy in various ways by increased ta taxation, and uh, you know we go back to the time after the after the Second World War in the 1950s, rich people paid 90% of their income in uh, taxes, and now they pay between something between 24 and 35% in in taxes. So there's there's a lot that could be done there, but uh, getting that through the Senate will be very difficult, I think. Now. One of, you know, as an outsider, I see the, the political culture of the United States is, is, a, is a far more bluntly religious one than you see 
say in certainly in Australia, but also in in the United Kingdom, in uh, in various other parts of the world, certainly say France and religious descriptors all around the place thrown around to identify people. But their explanatory force is proving more and more ambiguous because the people claiming these descriptors are in fact making it up as they go. They're making up, you know, what it means to be an evangelical, what it means to be a, a Catholic, what it means. They're all creating these things out of their own imagination, not out of any reference to a tradition or to, uh, I mean, you can you can see Catholics on both sides of, uh, of the political horizon doing doing very strange things, you know. And I, I, I really wonder whether it has come to the point where we really need to abandon these terms and find some other way of describing what the disagreements and divisions and separations are um, on the political landscape. How do you feel about something like that? One of the peculiarities of the US that people don't quite understand is the First Amendment uh, forbids the government from having a role in religion, but it doesn't disallow uh, religion having a role in politics. And, and in fact, uh, Alexis de Tocqueville, the great French uh, journalist, sociologist of the 19th century, claimed that the religion, that the religious congregations were the schools of democracy because it was there within, within the, the, uh, the church meetings that people learned the processes of democracy. Um, now that was, you know, he's thinking of New England and uh, New England where the town meeting still governs a lot of the townships there. But, but I, st I think that, that, uh, there, there's a place for for uh, religion being active in the in the field, but not for for this kind of culture war attitude, where you where you uh, you demonize your enemy and uh, you constantly set up traps for them so that they're gonna they're gonna fall to some trap on some narrow little issue. There has to be much more understanding that the politics is a whole range of issues, and, and that our choice of politicians involves a whole range of issues not just a narrow taboo or a narrow uh, totem that reveals whether or not they're, they're true uh, to, to their religion or, to, or to, to the political values of the country. And I, I think it's, it's going to be important again for, for educators and uh, people in social science and history in particular to, to cultivate the, uh, uh, the values that were associated with the growth of democracy in this country. As I wrote in Chivita Catolica, uh, they've been worn away by culture wars over schools since the 1950s by uh, the media and the media's uh, lack of attention to those values, but also it's, it's uh, glorifying of very petty kinds of vices as being what entertains people. And, uh, you know, vice always entertain people, you know, um, mysteries, you know, back of the university builds around crime, but really kind of personalities being portrayed uh, in reality TV, which is a large swath of what people get are very contrary to, to the kinds of character you want for running a, a, a decent society and a, a democratic government committed to justice. Now, I think we'd better draw this conversation to a close, but I'll, uh, I'll draw it to a close on an unusual subject. Um, an Australian who became an American, who I think has been destructive in both places, Rupert Murdoch. He became an American citizen after visiting his horror on many other countries beginning here in Australia. And um, I, think, I think Murdoch very early in his career became the king of tabloid newspapers because he saw tabloid newspapers 
as uh, nothing more and nothing less than playing the role that the medieval morality plays played for the entertainment of people. You know, people would be sensationalised in the Middle Ages. You had these morality plays that sensationalised good and evil and, and uh, made people feel good when baddies got beaten and, you know, when goodies were vindicated. I mean, it's a sort of the glorified cops and robbers, Indians and, and um, whitefellas shooting each other up and the whitefellas always winning. All those simplistic things. And that's what a lot of politics has been reduced to, you know, uh, to just grossly oversimplified fights between so-called good and so-called bad. And I think that religious people have been sucked into that. They've been sucked into uh, demonising the baddies and celebrating the goodies and thinking that everything's somehow simply resolved if, if, we, if we behave that way. One, one would hope that this period of gross oversimplification of fake news of the invention of uh, of positions and descriptions that bear no relationship to reality um, has really chastened uh, the body politic about its you know readiness to grossly oversimplify and 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 just create entertainment where there should be analysis and thought and decision making how do you think of that? What do you think of that? Well, I, I'm with you entirely on that, Nick. I think that, that the entertainment value has overwhelmed the analysis and the, the good judgment in, in, in the media, both the press and, and the broadcast media. Um, I, th I think Murdoch had a very important role in that here as elsewhere. And of course here, you know, Fox News has been a great success, but a great augmenter of the difficulties we've had time and time again. Fortunately, I think, you know, at least there's a difference there between their reporters, uh, the journalists, the people doing the strict news who have taken on the president on occasion in the last several months, and uh, and their commentators who still pander to the to the crowds. I think the other the other thing is that I think uh, th there's been a whole corruption of moral feeling mm -hmm. as a result of this. So the outrage is had over this, the smallest little thing, and major issues just are not given the attention they ought to be given. Uh, and major offenses are just blown ignored. away. Just ignored. Ignored. Completely. Ignored. Yeah. I think what's happened is people have gravitated to the feeling of being right. It augments their own sense of, of identity and worth at the expense of, of being really true to the values that would really make them worthwhile. Yeah. And, and uh, uh, it's that attachment to the feeling uh, of being correct that I think spoils politics across the board. We need, we need some conviction. Mm -hmm. But uh, I think when we're constantly trying to get up that feeling, we're, we're in the right and the other guy is wrong. If there's not a humility and not, not self-criticism, not self-examination, it seems to me that then you're really in real trouble. And I think the, the, uh, the moral fiber of the country has been greatly poisoned by this, this desire to be right always against the other person. The other person's always wrong and I'm right. It's been a, it's a terrible development. It sure is. And let's hope and pray that um, a man of peace that Biden appears to be brings a whole new quality of relating in the public space. Uh, because I don't think I don't think he is proud and and self-promoting. He is there is a humility to him. So I, I hope that wins its way. Drew, thank you very much for this, and thank you very much for your thought and the way you expressed it in the article. And we can recommend to to everyone that they should go to the 
lativiltacatolica.com website to find Drew's article and find out both insightful and comprehensive. So thank you very much, Drew. And let's not make it this long before we meet up next time. That's uh, indeed. Thanks a lot. Thanks, mate. Bye-bye.